0: Welcome to the New Harvest Podcast. Today's sermon is called, What Will You Do with the One They Call Christ? And the scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frank, incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Um,
1: today we're going to talk about um, what will you do with the one they call Christ. So many Christians uh, have no idea what Advent is. Uh, It may be like a vaguely familiar thing for you. You may have heard about it once or twice. Uh, You know, they know that it is associated with Christmas, but they don't really know how these two things are related, right? Because if you grew up uh, in an American Christian household, you probably never celebrated Advent. Uh, You didn't grow up um, observing special Advent traditions like we do with our, our Christmas traditions, and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like your family tradition, right? It wasn't something that you did at home. Uh, but if you are honest, um, let us take a look at our Christmas traditions, right? Like, when you carefully examine, like, exactly what we do on Christmas together as a country or as a culture or as just Christians... Uh, our Christmas tradition seems to have very little to do with Christ and a lot to do with consumerism and materialism, right? Like Christmas, like all the other Christian customs and practices, have been stripped of their original meaning and have been replaced with like vague pleasantries, right? Like Christmas is a time to spread the holiday cheer. Uh, Christmas is a time to roast chestnuts on the open fire. It's a time to spend with family and exchange gifts and do all these things. And the way we celebrate Christmas isn't conducive to focusing on Christ. The way we celebrate Christmas doesn't really seem to celebrate Christ at all, right? Have you ever thought about like you know, as a child, when you were growing up, the way your family or the, your church celebrated Christmas—did it ever really make you think about and focus on the person and the 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 work and the miracle of Jesus Christ? I would say, for me, no. Right? I I grew up just wanting the gift, wanting what you know, what whatever gift my parents got me that year, and just looking forward to that. But I really wasn't thinking about Christ at all. Right, um, and I believe um, there's like many reasons for this, but I believe the one main reason is that we have lost uh, the meaning of Advent. Right? We have forgotten what Advent, that tradition, is really about. Because you need to understand and I think have an Advent season to celebrate Christmas properly. So... Advent literally means arrival, right? That's what that word means, and it refers to the first four uh, or to the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, right? So, the Advent season is really a season of waiting. Right? Think about it. It's set in the winter time, and everything's cold and dead. So, as winter quietly waits for the arrival of spring, the church quietly waits for Christ. The one who brings the true spring of eternal life. The one who breathes new life into cold and dead souls. The one who calls the world out of their slumber. All right When we are kind of like those lifeless, leafless trees that you kind of see all around you right now, we're patiently waiting for the arrival of spring, for the warm sun and, and like the, the spring rains. Uh, You know, to melt the snow, to to thaw out the ground, to restore everything back to life, right? That's what the Advent season kind of teaches us. And it reminds us that there are actually really seasons in life, right? Like, sometimes life is like summer, right? It's full of joy and excitement and, you know, fun things and good things are happening in your life. And sometimes life is like fall, right? There's growth, There's change, Um, you know, a lot of, you know, sudden things are happening in your life, and a lot of changes are happening in your life, and other times, life is like winter, right? And nothing seems to happen, nothing seems to, to work. Like, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put into, like, your business, or you put into, you know personal growth or spiritual growth or whatever it is, sometimes whatever you do, it doesn't work. You don't seem to get closer to God. You don't seem to get any richer or more successful or whatever this, you know, thing that you're trying to do. Some people want to get, fall in love and and they're looking for the right person, but they can't, you know, find it or find her or him, right? And, And nothing seems to work out. And so if you think about it, 2020, uh, definitely was a winner, right, for a lot of people. Um, And so you understand through the Advent season that there's a timing, right? There's a divine timing for things. There's a season for everything. A season for blessing, a season for love, a season for success, a season for failure, season for disappointment. Like, there's a season for everything in life. And you can't rush it. You can't force God or hurry God to do what you want on your time. There are some times where you just have to wait things out. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how depressing it is, you can't really rush certain things that God wants to do in your life. And so just like the trees can't make themselves grow, they can't make their own leaves bud, they have to wait for spring. Right? And, and it's the same for us. There's nothing we can do about suffering sometimes and hardship sometimes. We can't avoid it or skip it. And I think this is like a very like, crucial lesson. Uh, you know, If I was doing youth ministry right now, this is like, I think, one of the things that is missing. Kids don't know how to handle hardships. They don't know how to handle disappointments in life. Uh, because they, they're kind of taught like Christians are always supposed to be happy and joyful and never like upset or sad or depressed. And then they, they kind of grow up like very unbalanced and unhealthy perspective of what life is. right? Because they think, oh, if you always do the right thing, good things are always going to happen. But if you read the Bible and you look at Job and Jonah and uh, David and Solomon, it, like, it doesn't always work like that. Look at Jesus. So there's, you know, seasons in life, right? So sometimes we must wait. And so if you look at the Christian year, right, there's all these uh, seasons within it. And there's all these kind of rhythms that you're supposed to learn on how to live with God, how to be a people of God. And so the Christian year begins the same way the Christian life begins. It begins in death, waiting for life to come. Waiting for grace and mercy to come down from heaven, to fall upon this world, waiting for the advent, for the arrival of Christ. And that's like how the Christian year says So the first four weeks we're waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to come. And so and the and the advent season is not just about the fact that Jesus came two thousand years ago. It also reminds you that there's a second advent. But that Jesus will come again, right? And and so it's not just a time of, of of us sitting here meditating on what Jesus Christ did or how Jesus Christ came as a baby into our world. It's also thinking about okay, He'll come again. Now this time, how will you be prepared? Right? How will you be ready when He comes again? All right. So um, many times in our life. Um, Maybe even right now. Our love for God, our devotion to God, grows cold and distant, just like winter. And so every year we have to kind of receive Christ again. Learn to receive Christ into our lives. Maybe you've kind of been separated, you've been busy, you've been doing other things, and you've kind of lost God or forgotten where Jesus is in your heart and your life. And so the season of Advent is a time where you learn, uh, once again, how to prepare yourself, how to ready yourself to receive Jesus into your heart, into your life. So what we're going to do is look at how other people in the Bible, in the first Christmas, in the, when Jesus really came, how did they react? How did they receive Jesus? So we're going to look at now Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We're going to look at King Herod. It says, when King Herod heard this he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, right? So he says, King Herod and all Jerusalem with him. Who is all Jerusalem? It is the chief priests, the, t- the teachers of the law, meaning the, the rulers and leaders, the people who are in charge, the people who are in power. They were disturbed at the news of Jesus. They were disturbed at the news of a new king. Why? Why? Because they had something to lose, right? There was a conflict of interest. They they saw themselves in competition with Jesus, right? If this child becomes king, then I won't be king. The Jewish leaders were thinking, if this child becomes the leader of Israel, then what happens to us, right? They didn't want to lose their kingdoms, they didn't want to lose their power, their influence, whatever they had, right? So they weren't in favor. Of a change in power. Um, if you look at the, uh, the the recent election, many people rejoiced at the uh, election of President Biden, right? And a lot of people rejoiced all over, right? and they gladly welcomed the change because they think, or you know, or thought or think that Biden was going to be a better leader, a better fit for the country, right? But there are also many people who are disturbed. By the results of the election. Because they saw that a, that a win for the Democrats was a loss for them. And they were scared and they thought, We're gonna lose power, we're gonna lose influence, we're gonna, you know, bad things are gonna happen to us or the economy. Right? And so they were disturbed by that. And So in the same way, I think that's what this means when it says King Herod was disturbed. They didn't really trust this baby was gonna be a good king, a wise leader. And so that you know, that's kind of can that example can kind of put you into the right mindset of what these leaders were probably thinking as Christians, I think we can have that same type of reaction to Jesus, right? Because if we are honest, I don't think we're very happy most of the time about the coming of Jesus into our lives. Right? We're not joyfully surrendering our lives to Christ. We're not gladly inviting Jesus into the throne of our hearts. Right? Um, We are disturbed at the news of Jesus Christ, at the prospect of someone else coming into our hearts, into our lives and taking over. We're like Trump, refusing to concede, fighting and protesting to the bitter end looking for another way to win because we have this fear right that if we surrender to God and become like total full-on Christian, God will lead us into a whole a whole lot of strife and suffering and and, and pain. Christ will suck all the life and the fun out of my life right? God will put all of these heavy burdens on me and these uh, tight restrictions on me where I can't do anything. And so the thought of God having complete control over my life that fills you with dread. And I think I know the feeling um, because I think I lived in this kind of half-surrender state for a long time, and even after I became a pastor, I didn't want to fully surrender, like fully give in on everything, like for example, um, you know, about money, I didn't want to be poor, because you know, see, if you see a lot of pastors, they're poor, they got to get a second job, uh, they, they struggle to make ends meet, um, you know, it's, it's kind of embarrassing and shameful when you can't, you know, really provide for your family in the way that you want. Uh, and especially it was, uh, you know, uh, ingrained into me. My parents will always talk about that, like, you got to work hard and make a lot of money so that, your, your you know, your family, your children never have to struggle. Um, I remember right before I got married, um, my mom was talking to me about, like, you know, this is serious because you're going to get married and she was telling me this story about how when I was a baby, when I was a toddler, that she had to go around the apartment complex, you know, asking to borrow, like, you know $10 to buy me my formula, buy, buy me my food and, and whatever, and kind of how that felt. And she, like, didn't want me to do that, but also kind of knew, like, sometimes, you, you know, uh, being a pastor... Um, could, could lead you to do that, but I really didn't want to be poor right, because of those things. Um, so I was, you know, a lot of times afraid of saying things that, that would be, be be a little bit too radical or too unpopular because you wanted to have a lot of people come out and enjoy church and like it and stuff like that. And I realized, you know, I was, I, I, I was, I would say that, you know. I was doing that for the church, or I was doing that so that um, I could provide for my family. But I realized at the core of it, that really wasn't it, right? That's not why I wanted to be rich or have money. I wanted to have money so I could buy whatever I wanted, so I could have control over my life, so that I didn't really have to depend on God, right? Because money gives you that false sense of control and security, Right? If if you have problems, you know you can solve it with money. I don't have to depend on God and pray that God would make a way for me. Right, money can give me a peace that God couldn't in my mind. Right, so though th- you know these are the kind of battles that I think, even though you're Christian and, and all of that, these are the battles that you still have. Right, so. You know, I really didn't want to depend on God. So he, so, the, so, like the thought of becoming a better Christian or, or thought of growing spiritually, it didn't fill me with joy. It didn't fill me with delight. So like Harold, when I heard of Jesus and the demand that he was going to put on my life, it disturbed me. So you may be Christian, right? And I, I don't doubt that you guys are Christian, but I think there are probably still areas in your life that are not fully surrendered to God. Areas where there is battle. Areas where you're still resisting God's control. You don't let Him conquer you. Areas in your life that are still enemy territory to God. You know. And so we have this kind of set. Uh, you know, um, half-hearted surrender. But let me just say one thing about that. The Israelites did not have peace in the land. Until all their enemies were driven out. And you will not have peace with God until every area of your heart, every part of your life is surrendered to God. Until then, you will always feel disturbed at the thought of God, at the thought of Christ. You always will be nervous and anxious like a kid, you know, who gets called to the principal's office. You'll never feel that peace before God until every part of your life is surrendered. And so when you feel this disturbance in your heart, like when you feel disturbed at the thought of God, that means what? There's areas in your life that are not fully surrendered to God. There's areas in your life that you have not given up to God. So the question is, does the thought of Christ ruling over you, having complete dominion over your life, delight you or disturb you. And I think these are the kind of questions that you need to ask yourself during this advent. That's what the that's what the season is for. To try, try to prepare your heart and mind to re- receive Christ better. Right? When I think about Jesus Christ, does it disturb me, scare me? Does it fill me with dread or does it fill me with delight and joy? And as you grow spiritually, right? It will it will turn from dread into delight. That's the that's You know, the the way you want to go. So ask yourself, if it's disturbing to you, the thought of Jesus controlling your life, ask, why is it disturbing to you? Now we're going to move on to the Magi. Right In verse 10 through 12, it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And I'm coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him, they opened up treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. So now we come to the Magi, and when you read on the surface, everything looks good, right? The Magi are overjoyed, they bow down and worship Jesus, they give even like these precious gifts. But then when you take a closer look, you can kind of see some of the the disturbing details, right? Because, it says that they were overjoyed when they saw the star. Right? So the, the Magi were probably like you know, ancient astrologers or astronomers or, or people who kind of study the sky, the people who loved wisdom and knowledge. So the question is, did they rejoice in Jesus or did, did they rejoice in being right? Right? did they rejoice in gaining knowledge and knowing the right thing? Because I think many Christians enjoy being right about Jesus more than actually being like Jesus. They love spitting out facts, quoting Bible verses about Jesus, having deep theological discussions about doctrine and faith and salvation, Right, they're very knowledgeable about what the Bible says. You know, They know what the Bible says. And when you listen to what they say, it's actually right, right. It's not like what they're saying is wrong. And some people love to worship Jesus. They love like being in worship. They love just the atmosphere and the act of worshiping Jesus. But they don't actually love Jesus. They just love worship. They love praise. So, right? so the, so the Magi—they were right about Jesus. They, they clearly, correctly saw that he was the King, and they even honored him as such. Right? They gave him gifts. They bowed down. They worshiped. They, they, they did the whole thing. But when you, when you read verse twelve, it says, "But they returned to their own country by another route." Right. So even after all of that and recognizing how great and amazing Jesus is, they still returned home. They still went back to their kingdom, meaning they went back to their own king. Right? They still eventually chose a different king. Right? Even though they worshipped and they, they, they saw the, the merit of who Jesus is, they still had a different king. A lot of us do that. We can say, oh, I know Jesus is God and this and that, and then we still have our own king. We become, we're usually our own kings. We see that he's great and worthy of praise and and adoration, but we don't actually follow him. We ultimately always return to our own country to be our own kings. Every Sunday, I think many Christians do this. They ultimately return to their own kingdoms. After saying All they said about how much they believe about Jesus. You know, if Jesus is worthy of worship, then he's worthy of being followed. And if he's worthy of being followed, then he's worthy of worship. I think this is the reason why you see so much lackluster worship. You know? You don't see a lot of genuine worship in churches today. Because they're not following him outside of church. Why would they worship him inside it? So... You know, when I see that, when I see kids like playing around in church, I'm like, I get it. (laughs) You don't worship him outside of church, why would you worship him inside? And so you see, on the surface, the the magi looked like they understood what they were doing. They they, they looked like they got it right, but then ultimately, it comes out that they really didn't. Before Jesus was uh, about to get crucified, right, he went on trial. He was put on trial by uh, Pontius Pilate. And during the trial, Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, or asked the crowd, a question. In Matthew 27 22, he says, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ, who is called Christ, that Pilate asked? And they all answered, Crucify him. Right? And when you think about it, who are the people that answered crucify him? There were the ones who witnessed his miracles. There was the ones who declared that he was sent by God. There were the ones who were worshiping him, right? There were the ones saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and waving the palm leaves around and and welcoming him as king when he rode in a donkey like three, four days earlier. Right, so those the, the same ones who shouted Hosanna are the same ones who shouted Crucify Him. And this is how quickly he can turn. Right? So we're not safe from judgment just because we love Jesus or have like some, you know, deep feelings of affections for Jesus. These people also had affections for Jesus, and yet they're the ones who say, Crucify Him. Yeah. You know, this is why Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Or why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Because Jesus also knows that there's danger in just pretending. There's danger in just having superficial affection for someone. Because it can turn very quickly. You see that with celebrities all the time. They're so beloved. You know, when they have one good game, when they have one hit song, and, you know, next week nobody cares about them, right? That is the the level of human affection, right? And I think this happens to us too, you know. Every week, right, we worship, say God is so good, and then by Monday we're doing things that a worshiper of Jesus would never do or shouldn't do, Right? We sang Hosanna, and the next day it was like crucify Him, in our hearts and our actions. And so the question is, what will you do with the one they call Christ? Right? It's not just enough to recognize that He is the Christ, or to praise Him and worship Him and present gifts to Him. Right? It's, it has to be full surrender. Right? So. You will either be crucified with Christ or you will crucify him. There really is no in between for us. There's only heaven and hell. There is no in between space where we can kind of take, you know, there's no fence for us to, to sit on here. Right? And so, as we spent this, um, you know, I pray that we would kind of spend this Advent season uh, faithfully, prayerfully. Yes, you know Jesus. Yes, you you believe in him. But how will you receive him? What will you do with the one they call Christ? And I pray that um, you know we would take this Advent season time to truly prepare ourselves, to surrender ourselves, you know, little by little, you know, every day. Surrender the areas of our hearts that are still in rebellion to him. Uh, let's pray. Um, dear Lord, I, we come before you, Lord, and we confess uh, of our sinfulness, of our transgressions, of there's probably many areas uh, where we still resist you, resist your control, resist your reign, and want to keep it for ourselves. I pray, though, that we will be able to lay those lives, uh, areas of our lives down, and surrender them fully to you. Holy Spirit, just direct us, guide us, show us the the things in our hearts that need to be surrendered, the, the things that need to be given up, Lord, so that we can truly receive Christ with joy and gladness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.